PM board bombs. All right, Otafat, what do you have for us today? An 85-year-old smoker who presents with back pain and an abdominal mass. Hmm. Looks like someone didn't know. Smoking kills. Now, here's doctors Iltafat Hussein and Blake Briggs. Well, Horatio, which of the following is the greatest determinant of AAA expansion? A. Caucasian race. B. Tobacco smoking. C. Hypertension. Or D. Diabetes. What's the correct answer? Correct answer is going to be B. Tobacco smoking. And yes, I just put on some sunglasses for some odd reason. Before we start, let's give a shout out to CSI Miami, which was, hey, let's be honest, much better than the Vegas version. What do you think, Dr. Briggs? Shots fired. Yes, yes. Um, you know, mainly this was due to one of, I think, our favorite characters of all time. Oh, yeah. It was starring David Caruso as the fantastic, brooding, Lieutenant Horatio Kane. He kind of reminds me of you, Blake, in the ER. Quiet, lethal, with some awesome taglines. <laughs> you know, I have actually started in triage when uh, residents present me patients. Mm-hmm. I'll usually hit him with a one-liner, taking off my glasses <laughs> when I say it, and then putting him back on. Uh, so what's changed? You said you started that. What changed since residency and <laughs> becoming faculty? This is a good point. <laughs> Oh, I love that show. It played every Monday night. It's fantastic. One of the best one of the best shows of all time. I love it. Hey, you want to talk about rapid bombs? Let's do it. Hey, <laughs> we heard the people. We give the people what they want. And we made it. The first ever rapid bomb interactive question bank in podcasting history. EM rapid bombs. We tell you what you need to know and nothing else. Nothing more. And nothing less. <laughs> but for real, we really appreciate everyone uh, giving us support on the new endeavor. Uh, we've got a ton of subscribers already. And you can see the link in the show notes on how to sign up. And if you go to our website, you'll see links there as well. EMRapidBombs.Supercast.Tech You can sign up in about, what do you think, five seconds? We've made that part rapid as well. Mm-hmm. It's that simple. Yeah. yeah. You can sign up for the monthly plan or the annual plan and start learning pearls in a rapid way. It's actually pretty awesome to see without revealing, you know, for privacy reasons, who signed up. There's some big names that have signed up for our podcast and it's pretty awesome. Right. Uh, I'm sure you've noticed. I'm sure you've noticed right, right. people that are uh, well known in the EM community. We're pretty excited yeah, about we it. We really appreciate that support. So AAA, nothing strikes more fear and suspense in healthcare than when talking about abdominal aortic aneurysms. <laughs> Perhaps it is due to their utterly silent growth and potential for catastrophic rupture. I think of the Hindenburg and the Titanic, mainly, when I think of AAA. Yeah, it's just kind of like a walking fireball waiting to happen, right? Yeah, just a floating dumpster fire. AAA is the most common, quote-unquote, true aneurysm in the human body. In developed countries, the prevalence is estimated between 2 to 8%, with men nearly twice as affected. We know this already. From screening, it is estimated about 1 million people in the U.S. alone have a AAA. That's frightening. Mm. 
is a bunch of ticking time bombs coming into the ED. It continues to remain a difficult diagnosis due to its ability to remain virtually silent until rupture. We have a great handout on the website that covers AAA in depth with some awesome photos, radiographic imaging too. We're going to hit the highlights today. We're not going to go over the entire handout. That'll be a waste of everyone's time, but we're really going to throw in some good pearls and highlight what you need to know. Hey, let's go over some definitions. Sure. So definition of a AAA in adults, you're looking at greater than three centimeter diameter at any location along the abdominal aorta. That is an aneurysm. The most common location for AAA is the segment between the renal and inferior mesenteric arteries. The most important factor for aneurysm expansion is ongoing smoking. So this is key. It's kind of can sound like semantics, but the most important factor for aneurysm expansion is ongoing smoking. We highlight that because, again, that was one of the answer choices, right? Wait, are you saying smoking kills? I'm suddenly wearing my sunglasses again. <laughs> I'm sure you are. I'm sure you are. Just give me, let me get to the other factors, all right? Horatio would be so proud of us, by the way. Other risk factors include yeah. older age, Caucasian race, hypertension, family history of AAA, and presence of other aneurysms in the body, and atherosclerosis. Hashtag obviously. This is like the list of obviously's, right? The list of obviously's. <laughs> AAA will naturally expand. The rate is variable and depends on patient factors, most importantly being size. So let's repeat that again. Size is the most important risk factors in determining AAA rupture. Okay, wait, you might get a little confused here because I said the most important factor for aneurysmal expansion is ongoing smoking. So let's remember that. Those are two board questions right there. The most important factor for aneurysm expansion, so that's key, expansion is ongoing smoking. But size is the most important risk factor in determining AAA rupture. So oftentimes a board question will be, uh, which of the following is the greatest risk factor for AAA rupture? So for that, it's going to be size. And I'll get into that why for a second. But any aneurysm greater than 5 centimeters uh, or to 5.5 centimeters is at the highest risk of rupture. Easy test question. Oftentimes they'll throw that size out there as well. The reason why they love asking this question is everyone gets all jabsed up about the actual rupture and what to do then and how to manage it. But the boards really want you to know that if you see someone with an aneurysm that's greater than five and they're symptomatic, you have to be aggressive and treat them aggressively um, by, you know, not only your medical therapeutics, but frankly, getting surgery involved sooner than later. They don't want you just sending home someone who's got symptoms and having a AAA that's greater than five centimeters. Does that make sense, Briggs? Yeah. So what you're telling me is you should send home aneurysms that are pal- visibly uh, vibrating on the abdomen <laughs> yes, and palpable, yes. and they should follow up for a repeat ultrasound for just continued monitoring in six months. Is that right? Uh, yes, but not really. Yes. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So yes, I agree. So sending <laughs> these patients home is a bad idea. Um, anybody greater than five-ish centimeters you're right. You're uh, circling the wagons. You're calling your surgeon. You're going to admit them, and you're going to bill for critical care because guess what? Any <laughs> aneurysm you admit, that's critical care billing. That is, that is. And it's, again, two board pearls right there that we just dropped. We see this, these types of questions repeated over and over again. Hey, Blake, uh, can you talk about the presentation? I'd be honored to. <laughs> so the majority of AAA patients are asymptomatic. The history and exam, guess what? They're not helpful. What? Make sure to listen to Pal Sons, though. They're probably helpful. Just kidding. 
So therefore, it's up to you to think about AAA when a patient presents with risk factors. So guess how many people have a palpable pulsatile abdominal mass? Oh, man, it's, it's going to be like 100%, right? Yeah, I know. The physical exam rules, right? Just kidding. Only 30%. What? Harrison's told me. It's always there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, man. So I had a fellow co-resident when I was rotating on the CCU. Just awesome guy from Alabama, um, went to school in uh, Birmingham. And he had this story about triple A's that was, that was, he would always tell us, he'd say, yeah, you know, we're always taught this story in medical school of Dr. Harrison diagnosing a triple A simply by feeling it. And we're like, oh, okay, what, he palpated it? Like, you know, uh, it would pop out. He was like, no, he felt it through the stretcher. We're like, What? He's like, yeah, he was just at the patient's bedside and he could feel the pulsatile mass in the abdomen by touching the metal on the stretcher and said, this patient's got a triple A. <laughs> so anyway, about 30% of patients have a palpable pulsatile abdominal mass. The ability to find these really does depend on clinician experience, body, habitus of the patient, and aneurysm size. Of note, palpating a AAA has never been shown to precipitate rupture. I love how this is a real concern because there's no medicine to support this, but you can imagine like anyone that sees this is like, I'm not touching that. (laughs) (laughs) So you're telling me it's not good to send 15 medical students into the room and just continue to do that, or that's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't matter. It's fine to do. 5 to 20% of patients with AAA have attributable symptoms. And, you know, that's a wide range, mm-hmm. of course, right? So symptoms of a AAA can include abdominal pain, that's specific, right? Flank pain or back pain. And pelvic and groin pain are also classically described. So overall pain is found in about 75% of those with symptoms. You can also have presyncope and syncope seen in about 30%. So really key pearl here, anybody over the age of 65 that faints, you, you at least need to entertain the possibility of a AAA. Large AAAs might have a brewery that can be auscultated, but this is extremely unreliable. Rarely, limb ischemia has been associated with AAA as an embolus or thrombus from the atherosclerotic plaques from the aneurysm break off and travel to the distal extremities. That is quite interesting, but also quite rare. One helpful maneuver is to look at their prior records, which I often do. Uh, Any prior CTs within the past couple of years would easily show a AAA if present. Uh, A high percentage of patients may not realize they have AAA. That's like 20-30%. That's insane. And others may not understand what you're asking of or if their symptoms are attributable. You know, unfortunately, what we do is we walk in the room, we say, hey, um, we're going to check a troponin and see if you have a heart attack. And someone's going to look at you and say, what is a troponin? <laughs> and it's the same thing here. Uh, you know, remember that it, it's difficult for us in our position. For years, we practice this stuff and you learn about it in medical school. And you got to remember that it's like the same thing as us going to a mechanic and someone's telling us about something in the car where we have no idea what they're talking about unless you have any background in that field. Yeah, I find that a question that I, I can ask that helps is, hey, do you have you ever been diagnosed with something in your belly where you have to get ultrasounds um, or yes. get scheduled ultrasounds That's a really uh, good point. every few years to, to look at it? And oftentimes they'll recognize yeah. the aorta part. So they'll say, yeah, something was messed up with my aorta. Yeah, it's been pulsating. So you can always do, just do a quick bedside ultrasound of their abdomen if you are not planning on CT. And this is a really a pro move, and we encourage it at our shop where I practice, and I know at Wake Forest they did as well. And really the key is you want to make sure you capture the point of bifurcation of the aorta into the iliac arteries. Another key point is you always, always measure the diameter 
from the outside wall of the aorta. And, and this is because one would be really fooled that the true lumen is the, only the inner circle yeah. of the aorta. But in reality, it should be measured from the outside wall because you're going to mistake intramural clot and really misjudge the size of the aorta when you're looking at the lumen. So that's really a key point here. I'm glad you brought that up too. I have mental images of my ultrasound rotations at Wake and the great Dr. Casey Glass repeating that to us every two minutes. <laughs> yeah. I also learned the phrase um, from Casey Glass, uh, stop doing Zorro movements with your ultrasound probe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that guy. That was like my first day. That was like my first day as an intern. I was doing an echo and I literally was, you know, doing a Zorro movement on his chest, looking for the heart. And Casey Glass was like, uh, please stop doing that. <laughs> You're making us look bad. Let's move on to diagnosis. Yeah, for sure. So for those who are asymptomatic, abdominal vascular ultrasound is preferred. The sensitivity and specificity approaches 100%, which is pretty awesome. But again, that's for a patient who's asymptomatic. Hashtag winning. winning. It has no radiation involved and it's you know non-invasive. So, and that's why a lot of the follow-up imaging is done this way. For those symptomatic who are hemodynamically stable, but with potential for other causes of abdominal pain, back pain, or flank pain, just do the abdominal CT with contrast. I mean, that's a test of choice. What about their GFR? <laughs> I know, I know. Contrast-induced <laughs> nephropathy is not a thing. Remember, CT scan can show obvious signs of rupture, including retroperitoneal hematoma and contrast extrav, which is terrifying. CT might also detect unstable signs of impending rupture, such as a crescent sign, of layering hematoma at the aorta, breaks in the aortic wall calcification, and aortic blebs that emerge from the aortic surface. So there are a bunch of other things as well that it can detect. Yeah, you don't have to tell me twice. When you say the word bleb and aorta, you got my attention. Yeah, in general, that CT scan finding with a symptomatic patient and aorta (laughs) says things that I don't really recognize saying, it's, you know, it's going to get a discussion. Yeah. There is, an, there is an irregularity of the aortic wall. Please <laughs> correlate clinically. Okay, you got my attention. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I'm listening. Hey, let's talk about, speaking yeah. of uh, concern for rupture. Did you, were you going to say something? I'm sorry. I interrupted you. I, know, I was trying to just uh, be, I was trying to be your hype man. Okay, okay, cool. Oh, hype me up. Hype me up. Go, Blake. <laughs> hey, what about that rupture AAA, though, Blake? <laughs> So 20, 30% of patients who present to the ED with a triple A rupture have a known history mm. of triple A. That's insane. So the vast minority of patients, 30%, will come in saying, or at least their chart indicating, they have triple A. The classic triad of severe pain, hypotension, and pulsatile abdominal mass only occurs in 50% of patients. You know, I love these triads and how none of them ever hold up. Yeah, it's, I'm developing one right now. Um, I don't want to... I don't want to let it out though. What's it called right now? Because I feel like somebody might take it. So yeah, I'm developing one right now too. It's called the uh, Briggs admission criteria, and it's age greater than seventy, abdominal pain, and back pain, automatic admission. So the classic teaching is that these patients uh, immediately develop shock and die. Th- this is partially true. Fifty percent of patients with rupture survive long enough for treatment, and those that do may have nonspecific symptoms. They may even delay medical attention, which is insane to think about. But, you know, we do have to change the thinking, you know, of, oh, they're triple A ruptured, they're dead. That's not entirely true. You know, half of these patients, you can still make a difference on potentially if you act quickly in the ED. 
You know, even worse, unfortunately, speaking of trying to act on people, those presenting with symptoms, misdiagnosis is common. Guess how often we misdiagnose patients that come in with a AAA impending rupture? I mean, I would hope that it would be 10% or less. Yeah, it's 30%. Ah. It's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. In the hemodynamically unstable patients who present to the ED of a ruptured AAA, you know, you got to do a rush exam. Uh, That's the rapid ultrasound for shock and hypotension. It's a great start as you resuscitate your patient, looking at the abdomen via the EFAST views, you know, look at each lung, right upper quadrant, left upper quadrant, suprapubic, and subxiphoid, and get a quick sliding view of the abdominal aorta. That's an excellent screening tool. And as one would expect, Labs are not helpful. If the patient has a ruptured AAA, you're not going to trend their CRP. You're not going to trend their lactate. It's going to be bajillion. Their labs may reflect end organ damage, but this is nonspecific. It can lead you down the wrong diagnostic path if you're not expecting a AAA. You know, if you get a lactate that's like 10, you're going to think, oh, let's do vancomycin, admit to ICU. Suboptimal. And that's suboptimal. So those with ruptured AAA, they require emergent surgery. We know that uh, for hemorrhage control and repair. It's quite simple. Acting quickly is, frankly, the biggest thing you can do. Honestly, with something like this, it's more about recognition. Even if you can save half an hour to an hour, that might be the difference between the patient bleeding out on the OR table or, frankly, making it. So again, aggressive management. Get those large bore IVs in. Emergency release of blood in whom rupture you suspect, right? So that's another important thing. These patients oftentimes will be hypotensive. While you're getting surgery team involved, go ahead and get those blood products going. If your rush exam detects free fluid in the abdomen, immediately call surgery right away. Frankly, if you see a large AAA and the patient is symptomatic or you have vital sign instability, you should have very low threshold to at least get your vascular surgery team involved. Go ahead and give them that heads up. Any patients with symptoms that could be attributed to the AAA should be admitted to the hospital and vascular surgery consulted in the ER. Remember, if you admit any patient to the hospital secondary to their AAA, rupture or not, it does count as critical care billing. Cha-ching. Bingo. Regardless of size, aneurysm repair should at least be considered for patients with symptoms. So again, abdominal pain, flank pain, back pain, that cannot be attributed to other ideology. Hey, Dr. Briggs, what's that summary? Yeah, so summary here. Remember that out of all the answer choices, uh, size is going to be the greatest factor for aneurysm expansion and rupture. We didn't list that today, so the second greatest would be smoking. All the other risk factors are obvious. There's no point in memorizing them. Any aneurysm greater than 5.5 centimeters is at the highest risk of rupture. Those patients should never go home. The presentation is extremely variable. The majority are asymptomatic until they rupture. Remember that a minority of patients realize they have a AAA when they come into the ED. There's not 100% mortality at that moment when the aorta ruptures. There will be in several minutes, but about 50% of them die at the scene. And so you do have a chance to quickly act on these people in the ED. So be aggressive with your treatment. For those who are hemodynamically stable in the ED with other abdominal complaints or back pain or flank pain, CT of the abdomen and pelvis with contrast is the best test of choice. If they're asymptomatic otherwise and you're just kind of screening them for, hey, they had a syncopal episode or, hey, they had some back pain ongoing and otherwise they look fine, you could debate doing just an abdominal vascular ultrasound and we can do this at bedside as EM providers. Remember that you are doing emergency release blood, you're doing a rush exam in those hemodynamically unstable, you're doing aggressive management with large bore IVs, right? 
Yeah, and look, there's there's a limited number of ways they can ask you about AAA, right? And the boards really, and just in life, it's about recognition. Yes. And that's where they're going to ask you about, you know, these some of these risk factors that we talked about. Size is at greatest risk of rupture. Um, and frankly, getting um, surgery involved right away, this is one of those where you are not waiting to get surgery involved. There's going to be an answer choice where surgery is the appropriate next step, even though you might think, oh, I need to do a larger workup or do more recess. No, it's get surgery involved right away. Especially, it's funny that you, you know, we're talking about AAA because when I was just starting as a, uh, at my new place of employment here. I was working with an off-service intern who was in their second month of intern year, and they saw an 85-year-old female with back pain bedded in the hallway. Classic, you know, mm. classic hallway patient. Hallway oh, And uh, no monitor. And, you know, the, the intern is uh, was from a different medical specialty, gave a fantastic Pulitzer Prize-winning presentation. And at the end of the presentation, I said, hey, that was a good job, but unfortunately, you didn't tell me the one thing that could kill this woman, like, you know, within a week. Uh, with her complaint of mm. back pain. And it was back pain. It was benign appearing back pain, you know, and the lady was very sweet and right. didn't have any midline pain. And she's like, well, I don't really understand. You know, I don't think there's anything serious here. I'm like, you're, so you're telling me an 85-year-old back pain, tell me what's number one on your list of things that could harm her. And, you know, she was drawing a blank. And I said, oh, well, it's going to be a triple A. You know, like triple A, sure. And so I'm like, well, we still have to do a bed cell ultrasound. Like, you still have to do it. And I can teach you how to do one, you know, so you can do it in the future. So we walk up to the patient with the bedside ultrasound, and as I put my hand with the probe on her belly, it was pulsating. <laughs> That's nuts. And she that had a, a she had a seven and a half centimeter triple A and went to the OR in two hours. That is. That's, it's a great lesson. It really is. It, it takes stuff like that yeah. for uh, some interns to be uh, it's a little bit humbled. Yes, actually. Um, it's all a learning process. It's all a learning process. It's all a learning process. That's all right. All it is. Take us out. Well, that's another board bomb delivered. As we mentioned earlier, check out our first interactive question bank podcast ever created, also known as EM Rapid Bombs. You can find it at emrapidbombs.supercast.tech. Some of the coolest feedback we've gotten is that folks aren't even using this for board studying, which it's great for, by the way. We've gotten some awesome emails from some of the subscribers on how it really helped them for different types of exams. But that feedback that we've gotten has been, even though I'm not studying for boards, I get to learn some pearls in a really quick way. We drop a new podcast almost every single day which is pretty awesome. So on your driving to work or your home from shift, if you want a quick three to five minutes of learning some key pearls that you can use in the emergency department, check out EM Rapid Bombs. EMRapidBombs.Supercast.Tech. As always, we appreciate our listeners and folks dropping iTunes reviews and following us on Twitter and social. Blake, it's not social media. You're supposed to just say social. That's right. I learned that recently. Yeah, I know. I feel so out of touch right now. It's okay. We'll continue to have that feeling even more as we continue to age. Thank you. Speaking of which, my back hurts. As we, as we, well, you're, you don't mean a risk factor. You don't smoke, so you'll be fine. Yeah. So as we continue to age together, and hopefully, well, we appreciate your support. Thank you. Godspeed. Godspeed.